0: The following is brought to you by TheKnowledge.com, Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. everybody, to the September 24th, 2021 edition of the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast. My name is Justin Robert Young, joining you yet again from Austin, Texas. Nice little show for you today. We got to look at one of the more confounding issues politically that I've run across in a while. You know, there are recurring issues. There are new issues. But very rarely do you get something that is a recurring issue that has such a very bizarre twist. And lo, that is what we find at our southern border, specifically Del Rio, Texas, as a new influx of migrants is waiting to get in. And some are. Some are being deported. But it's not that that's happening. That is Dog Bites Man. The man bites dog part is that it's an influx of Haitian refugees, which without opening up your Google Maps app, well, that's a bit of a circuitous route for folks to get from Haiti to America. We discuss all that, including (laughs) yet another really uh, bizarre political fallout for Biden as he navigates against a lot of bad options. Also, you know we love negative ads. We love negative ads. We got some fresh negative ads for you. These are from the American Action Network. They are a Republican organization. And if it's midterm season, then it's time for Nancy Pelosi to get ready for her close-up. Nobody rallies the Republicans like old Nance. And she is the heart of two different ads we're going to play them for you, and then break down what they mean. Also, Mike Cohen joins us. Pollster, campaign uh, 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 worker, campaign studier, political science doctorate haver, the author of Modern Campaigns. He joins us because he's in Virginia. He's made most of his professional living working with polling and campaigning on the right. So I just wanted to see if somebody could talk me into the idea that Youngkin, the Republican candidate for governor, could beat former governor and Democrat Terry McAuliffe. Because I don't know if it's possible. And I just wanted to see if somebody could. I don't know if he does, but he does make some interesting points in this interview. All that. As I speak to you right now, somewhere between 8,000 and 14,000 migrants are under a bridge about four hours west of where I am. They believe that this is their entrance into America, and they are fleeing places that they obviously would like to get away from. But unlike popular understanding of border crises in the past, what makes this situation stand out is its diversity. Not only are we seeing Mexicans and Central Americans, that is to be understood, but also this time it's Cubans, Brazilians, Ecuadorians, Venezuelans, and most notable to our current situation... Haitians. Now, this is the real puzzler for me, because in my South Floridian youth, immigration on both sides of the law from Caribbean nations like Cuba, the Dominican Republic and Haiti was common. But why? Why would weary refugees make the trip from their island nations all the way through Mexico just to wait under a bridge in South Texas? I don't have the answer. Then again, that puts me in good company with the Biden administration because they don't seem to have one either. There is bipartisan anger toward Joe on this one. The GOP believes it's the latest consequence of Joe running a campaign ripping Trump for enforcing a border, which sent the message that when he was in charge, there would be open borders. He asked for it. He's getting it. This is what it looks like. Thousands of migrants living in squalor under a bridge. Add to that, there doesn't really seem to be a plan to stop it. The shell game of keeping children in detention centers around the country this summer has predictably been dropped. According to critics, Politico reports this week that many of the Haitian immigrants are being released into the United States with only a notice that they should see an immigration center within 60 days voluntarily. Not so says the Biden administration. We are enforcing the border with the exact same enforcement measures that Trump did. Title 42, a pandemic-era regulation that allows the U.S. to expel migrants back to their home country. And that's exactly what's happening now with many of the exact Haitian migrants that you see on your television. Which is exactly why he's getting yelled at by the Democrats. Remember, bipartisan anger. Immigration advocates and members of Congress are calling for an immediate halt to these deportation flights. Quote, we know there are complexities to the situation, but we're clear that it makes Biden look weak and evil to do this, said Patrice Lawrence, co-director of Undocu Black Network. What's more, this is a particularly telegenic crisis on both sides of the aisle? Republicans have been pounding the table on this since Fox News started flying a drone over the Del Rio camp. The rest of the media has since decamped to cover it. Meanwhile, Democrats found an image that told a thousand words with a shot of a horse-mounted border patrol agent with a rope in his hand, guarding a path leading out of a river. While the rope was part of the reins for the horse, In the image, it looks like a whip and a white man on a horse with an unfurled whip in front of a black man trying to cross a river. Wow, that's so on the nose, I'm shocked that Joy Reid of MSNBC didn't have it commissioned herself. So what to do if you're Biden? You enforce the law and you're weak and evil. You show compassion and you invite the world to apparently take the long way round because they believe specifically that the southern border is the way that they get in. This has now become famous, at least famous enough for migrants in Caribbean nations to not just try to get in through Florida the way that they had done in the past. Well, again, I don't have any answers. It's just another day and another quicksand pit for Biden to navigate. One of the things that I love the most, and I'll tell you what, for everybody who joined up with this podcast, either during the run up to the end of the election in 2020 or after, you have not seen the best part of the midterms. Our favorite part. Of the midterms here on this show is the ads. Oh, so many ads (laughs) there. And here's the reason why the midterm ads are the best. Is that there's a lot of them. They don't got a, a big budget and they're all local. So they're trying to appeal to like local sensibilities. Now, we have our first batch of kind of midtermy ads that are out right now. This is from the American Action Network. It is a group aligned with House Republicans, and they are about to hit 24 districts with an avalanche of television ads about six separate issues. It's going to cost them $7.5 million, and I'm going to share a couple with you uh, right now. By the way, shout out to Punchbowl, the newsletter Punchbowl, which is where I've gotten not only this information, but also the links to these, uh, to these here ads. Here's our first one. This is against uh, Jared Golden, a Democrat representative in Maine. And uh, this is about the 200 million in federal funding That will uh, be a part of the $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill, should it ever happen. But pay attention to the fact that while this is attacking Representative Golden, nobody knows who the hell he is, so he is not the main character. D.C. liberals overspending. It benefits a few while working Americans suffer. Now they're pushing a $3 trillion socialist spending plan. Where's the money go? Pelosi snagged $200 million for a park in San Francisco, and her rich friends get tax breaks on electric cars with Chinese parts. But Maine's middle class gets stuck with the bill. New taxes and even higher prices. Tell Congressman Golden to vote against Pelosi's spending spree. You can't hear it in the audio version, but... Whenever you want to rally a bunch of Republicans, the way you do it, invariably, is by bringing up Nancy Pelosi and now bringing up AOC. And so AOC is when they go like, they're rich friends. The uh, image is AOC at the Met Gala with her tax the rich Met Gala gown. But. You don't just get attacked if you stand side by side with Nancy Pelosi. No, even if within your own party you stand up to Nancy Pelosi, you also get trashed. Here they come for Josh Gottenheimer of New Jersey, despite the fact that he has—he uh, he was the one that that spearheaded the deal to get bipartisan infrastructure voted on on uh, September twenty seventh. The fact that he allowed the reconciliation bill to go through, that's enough for this group. They label him a fake moderate. Congressman Josh Gottheimer claims to be a moderate working for you, not Nancy Pelosi. We don't work for a national political party. We work for our district. I think it's very important (laughs) that we do, that we that we don't back off of this path, though, which is voting first on infrastructure. But Josh Gottheimer sold out New Jersey, caving to Nancy Pelosi. Boy, they, they sold out pretty quick and pretty cheap. Now he's letting Pelosi push through trillions in spending on a liberal wish list. Tell Josh Gottheimer it's time to finally oppose Pelosi's liberal spending. Here's a quote from Dan Constan, the president of this organization: "The more we learn about the 3.5 trillion dollar reconciliation bill, the worse it gets. This bill is creating a world of problems for members of the hundred different uh, direct uh, in a hundred different directions. Members should think long and hard before walking the plank for Pelosi, when we're only just about to see how toxic this bill will become back home. As we are about to go over in our interview with Michael Cohen, I wonder." exactly how this bill is going to play out. Because these kinds of ads are meant to startle the moderates. They are meant to to drive a wedge between the Democratic Party. Not that the Democratic Party has much of an issue with wedging themselves, but... These are good. These are good. But this is is a little... uh, uh, Appetite. This isn't even the appetizer when it comes to ads for the midterms. This is the breadsticks. This is the free water. This is just something to kind of get your stomach moving. Get your 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 mouth wet. Because we're gonna have a meal coming up. Oh yes. God, just seeing these ads, I knew I had to put it in the show because because whoa, whoa, I'm I'm pumped for negative ads in midterms. So excited. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for supporting this show. If you would like bonus content, and there's only one place to go, takepoliticsseriously.com. Again, takepoliticsseriously.com. Sign up at the $3 level and you get two bonus podcasts each and every week. Week. Yep. Just that simple. Go to takepoliticsseriously.com, sign up at the $3 level. And that's $3 a week. Not per show. a week. That's all you do. Now look, that's a lot of money, right? That adds up. But I guarantee you that you are going to get far more coverage. You are going to get far more insight. If you like this show, if this is one of the shows that you really enjoy downloading, if you really enjoy it, man, if you can spare the coin, I I think it's really, really worth it. Uh, And and thank you to everybody who's joined up after we did PX Free Week a couple weeks ago. There has been a noticeable uptick. So people lived with that experience for one week and they were like, damn, this is what it's like on the other side. And they got on the team. And to be honest with you, you guys are the reason why I have a living. I love everybody. But we don't have ads on the show, so everybody who listens for free. Otherwise, I love to spread the word, but, you know, dollars make sense. And you guys, give me your dollars and presumably your euros and probably your pounds. And I appreciate all of it. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Three bucks a week gets you two bonus podcasts every seven days. Our guest today is Mike Cohen. He is the author of Modern Campaigns. He has primarily worked on the right as a pollster and campaign advisor, and he's also in Virginia. So, I wanted to see whether somebody could talk me in to believing that Terry McAuliffe would not win his race for governor. Instead, he'd lose to Yunkin, and now we're going to ask him. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hey, it's great to be here, brother. All right, so we we had a guest on on Wednesday, who is a a tout, a a political betting expert. So so he is he is really just here to kind of make the money that that's where his bread and butter is, and he is about as as down as one could be on Youngkin's chances. You have have made your living in polling and campaigns on the right. So and you are there in the area. So I figured if anybody that I could immediately reach out to could could give me the the opposite side of that as we kind of now stare down this Virginia governor's race as the the big fight politically between now and the midterms. It was you. so so give me the 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 quick version of why you should be optimistic if you are, Rooting for Youngkin.
1: Okay, um, I, I'm not going to say who I'm rooting for in this race, but no. you are rooting for running, one is, yeah. one is. If, if one yeah. is, if, yeah. if one is rooting for Youngkin, what you're feeling great about right now is that McCullough has essentially been running a, a zombie campaign. He is completely invisible on air. He is completely invisible in your mailbox. He is completely invisible at your doorstep. He is not even, you can't even find a yard sign in Loudoun County, which is the most contested county in the Commonwealth. And so that leaves the opening for Yunkin just from a campaign nuts and bolts standpoint. And what you're finding in the polling is it's within the margin of error. And if you're looking at public polling, it's within the margin of error. My spidey sense says to me that um, the Yunkin people have data that shows that they are better than the margin of error, that they are actually ahead. And so you know, obviously it comes down to turnout. We're all gonna yeah. laugh at that, but you know, whoever shows up shows up. Um and with early voting, you're obviously banking uh more Democrat than Republican votes pretty early on. But if you're a young and partisan right now, you're feeling pretty good.
0: Well, at least you feel better than you did a few weeks ago, right? Because this the, uh, by by the polling a few weeks ago, this thing looked pretty out of hand. Uh what do you think has changed if both internal polls that have been released and public polls have shown some kind of tightening. Sure, a
1: couple of things. Number one, um, McAuliffe is sort of a brand ex-Democrat and um, Youngkin is trying to be seen as a more moderate Republican. And so yeah. those two things really do matter. And as you're seeing Biden's polling drop, you are starting to see McAuliffe's drop because he's not running really a separate campaign that's all about himself he's sort of branding himself as a D kind of like what you saw in California. So as, as the D numbers fall, you start to see McAuliffe fall as well.
0: And certainly Virginia was a double digit Biden win in 2020. It was a 54 to 44 win for Joe Biden, but Virginia is not California (laughs) where that number was a (laughs) lot larger. And Gavin Newsom had a lot more room to play with, not only in terms of margin of victory for Biden there in 2020, but also voter registration, which the Democrats have a sizable advantage. Uh, what are the voter registration numbers in Virginia? Like, is is there a big disparity or is it pretty split? It's much
1: closer. I mean, yeah. so, you know, in you know, downstate, it's much more Republican. Upstate, it's much more Democrat. And so it's much, like you said, it's very different than California. It's one of the reasons why you actually don't see Kamala Harris and Biden in Virginia campaigning for McAuliffe right now, because it's just not going to help him. And he understands that. Um, so just on party ID alone, it's going to be close. But, you know, again, it, you know, November of last year might as well be like 500 years ago at this point, based upon what you've seen so far over the past nine months. And particularly in the past month, um, as far as Democrats are concerned, you know, right here in uh, sort of the D.C. metro area in North Virginia, a lot of people who are on the left are very depressed about their prospects based upon what's going on with inflation Afghanistan. Um, even the, the bills that are trying to come through Congress that look like that's going to be a total shit show um, for the next week or so. And so when you're looking at all of that together, you're finding, yeah, it is different than California. But McAuliffe, again, is not running a campaign that's showing something extremely different about him, that's separating him from the president that's separating him from the party. Um, Youngkin is doing that. He may not be doing a perfect job of that. But at least that's sort of the theory of the case of his campaign.
0: He is carving out his own land. All right. Now, I want to spend a bunch of time talking about the last month for Biden, because as uh, people have already heard on this podcast, we have yet another problem uh, for which doesn't really have an easy answer as the uh, border has again flared up into a very colorful and telegenic crisis. But. I want to ask you as somebody who is there in Virginia, Virginia's governor's race has long become a, uh, a an oasis in the desert for the media certainly because it's something to talk about at least the political media that is between the election the, the presidential election which is the gigantic crescendo and then the midterms that come up about a year afterward how much do you buy the idea that this is a referendum on sitting president. There has been a history of Virginia going against whoever wins the White House. That has that has kind of been the trend. Do you buy that or is that just, you know, a bunch of binary decisions happening to line up?
1: It is a bunch of binary decisions, but, you know, it also sort of follows with the every two years, um, you know, Congress goes against the president, the president loses seats. So it's sort of a precursor to that. Um, and in this case, you've seen such a huge drop off in sort of the goodwill for Biden, primarily due to COVID, which sort of opened the door for all of these other issues. It made everything else worse um, in the world for Biden. And frankly, right now, it's very difficult for Biden to get any airspace with anyone, let alone his own party right now. No one's afraid of Biden anymore like they were in the beginning where they were sort of, you know, tiptoeing around him, even on the right. And so that really, when you're looking at Virginia, just here in Virginia, it ends up being the case where we're close enough to DC and we're close enough to all of what's going on in Washington. So there's sort of a little bit of rub off there. But also Virginia is sort of quirky on its own because it's such a, it's very much like Florida. And I knew you did a little bit of traveling to Florida also, you know, where like different parts of Florida actually could be different states. And so yes. if you really locked off Northern Virginia versus, um, you know, Southern Virginia, or even some some parts of you know the Loudoun County. Like you could even split our county between North Virginia and Southern Virginia. You could end up with a couple of different states, and so you know Northern Virginia is much more like Maryland than Southern, and Southern Virginia is much more like North Carolina and maybe even South Carolina. So it really depends upon how agitated the people are here in Virginia, and it's pretty obvious that. Uh, a couple of things, including education, where Yunkin has really leaned into and McAuliffe really doesn't have great answers for. Um, you know, there's a lot that are going on local school boards here. They become real shouting matches, even locally here. I mean, you you would think like running for school board is sort of like the easiest thing to run for. It's <laughs> not, partisan, not interesting anymore. You go to those things now, they're coming after you. And they're coming after you from both sides, like make sure you have your mask on yeah. or you have your mask on. We're going to take you out. And it's it's getting pretty uh, chippy out here. Uh,
0: if you are listening to my voice right now and you indeed are on a school board, then then I, I have tremendous pity and compassion for you because you watch these videos, and I don't know if you're if you're familiar with this, but out in in Coney Island, I think it's been since discontinued, but they used to have a an attraction called Shoot the Freak, which was basically oh. you just shooting, I, I think, some kind of pellet or BB gun at a dude who ran around. Uh, uh, oh. But that's that's what it reminds me of. It is Shoot the Freak for for all these various school boards around the country, and you're right, it is bipartisan. So I want to drill down into the Biden stuff because if to me. If I were going to give any kind of hope to the Republicans or Youngkin, it would be, man, those polls seem to have tracked together. That that McAuliffe, his polls have softened, although depending on where you look at, you might believe uh, uh, that, that more so or not. As Joe Biden has begun to drop, a new poll just came out uh, as I'm recording this with you. On Wednesday, that puts Biden. Uh, this is a Gallup poll, so it's not like a, a, a Rasmussen or anything that's normally very, very uh, uh, bearish on Democrats. It's a Gallup poll that puts him at forty-three percent approval, and for the first time in their poll, fifty-three percent disapproval. So now he is not just yeah. underwater, underwater. He is full, you know, full head head below he the submerged. sea. He is submerged. Yeah, he, he is submerged. Yeah,
1: I mean, those are Trump kind of numbers, you know. I mean, yeah. So. You know, we're looking at those kinds of things and that's sort of where Trump hovered around for most of his presidency. And So you're finding it's basically flipped. I mean, I I don't remember in in quite some time pre-Trump, just a really bad, bad, bad swap of news, like back to back, to back, to back, to back. If I were Biden, I was waking up in the White House today, um, you know, looking at Trump's, you know, big place where he used to go ahead and, um, you know, practice driver, I mean, I I would literally pull down that screen and I would scream at myself, what am I doing here? (laughs) I would go down to the hill and I would say, you know what? Screw this. Pass the BIF now. Get it done. And I don't really care about this $3.5 trillion thing because right now you're pulling me down even worse and you're pulling everybody down. Like the dude needs a win. And if he doesn't go ahead and find himself a win that he can somehow call bipartisan, Um, You know, the reconciliation package doesn't help them get past 42 percent, but the BIF probably helps a little bit. All
0: right. So let me let me actually uh, go into that with you. And and, uh, full disclosure, we're recording this on Wednesday. So anything that happens past this by the time it comes out on Friday, please understand that we don't have a time machine. Uh, The thing that's happening right now is Biden may or may not be doing exactly that. Reports are that there is going to be a parade of Democrats that are coming to the White House. We we, we presume that this is so there can be a for real, for real, come to Jesus moment where Joe Biden says, this needs to get passed. It needs to get passed now. I need everybody to get on the same page. Whether or not that will be the case remains to be seen. But from the perspective of a Virginia voter, I'm going to go through some of these issues. You tell me whether or not they matter or they <laughs> don't matter. All right. Sure. Let's start with the easiest, COVID. Where has the COVID, Biden's handling of COVID and therefore McAuliffe's, if we are we are, we are welding them together, uh, uh, where has that gone over the last few months?
1: Well, it's gotten to the shitter. I mean, yeah. you know, what it really comes down to is this is that COVID and his non-performance of it and delta variant. And the sort of shifting of messaging all over the place: wear masks, don't wear masks. You're protected if you're vaccinated. Now you're not protected if you're vaccinated. Um, don't be in a group. Oh well, if you're outside, I guess that's okay. You know, it's, it's all kind of all over the place. It's very much like government messaging muddle, right? Yeah. What like that has really done is that has made um, you know, the leader of the free world much more of a cog in the wheel, as opposed to just you know. Really setting the stage for what we should be doing. He, he has really lost the middle here because we felt that we were sort of done with this thing. And now of course we're not. And that has really set the stage for everything else, including in Virginia. And what that has done is, is that it has really put into focus how we're handling education in Virginia, either at the you know, school level or at the college level. And that's where a lot of the negative advertising between the candidates have gone. So McAuliffe yeah. has dropped. Some a male saying that Yunkin behind closed doors is saying one thing and he's saying another thing in public. And Yunkin is saying, um, you know, we're not doing right by our kids. And so it's really shifted straight into the culture war of your kids and how they're experiencing school at this point.
0: So that is the pivot point for COVID, at least in this race right. is schools, uh, capital T, capital K, these kids.
1: Absolutely. Yep.
0: Uh, and, 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 So from the Biden perspective, the biggest problem, because obviously, look, Biden can control Delta. And and even if he was the covid candidate uh, and it said on the box, vote for me and covid goes away, that turned out to be a a campaign promise for which nobody could uh, uh, deliver on. But the thing that he could do that you're saying is now hurting him is the fact that there's. It doesn't seem like he's confident in the vaccine because he wants the boosters. It doesn't seem that he's confident in the trajectory of the virus because he says we have uh, uh, declared freedom from it. And now we need to be in masks and and social distancing. And also we need a vaccine mandate that OSHA is going to enforce. So it's like the the, 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 the problem right. is, is that it's it's everywhere. It's it's whatever the latest thing that's being said is what he's reacting to. He is on the end of the tail instead of wagging.
1: Right. And if you think about it, like just a few weeks ago, he was saying, okay, we're going to have boosters. And then the CDC comes down and says, well, only for certain populations. And so it sort yeah. of blows up part of his, his vision for where this could go, right? And so we're now at the point right now where he may even be doing the right technical things, but he's sort of lost the thread of the story. And people don't act like, okay, well, the bureaucrats are, are great and they're doing their work, you know? Biden, in this case, has become essentially part of the bureaucracy because he's being pushed by it as opposed to helping to lead it. Yeah. And so you can go the other way with it, where Trump was way too far ahead of it. But now it seems like Biden is just leading from behind. And that's yeah. never when you want to be the president.
0: All right. Moving, moving subjects. One of my least favorite things, and we are going to move into this phase with the midterms, is I hate it when people try to make foreign policy something that matters in midterms. I've said it once, I'll say it again, specifically with foreign policy, it matters more in many of these House races whether or not the candidate believes that the R.B. should have gone on the southeast compared to the southwest corner of Main Street than it does whether or not they voted for or against the war in Iraq. However, however, Afghanistan was a very loud disaster and Virginia is not only a place with a high military contingent of voters, but also obviously many people who participate and are involved in the military live in Virginia. Does Afghanistan matter to McAuliffe's campaign vis-a-vis Biden?
1: Yeah, you just stole my hot take. What what, what, what Afghanistan really does is it sort of Spurs the base of the Republican Party in certain parts of Virginia. Okay. so Quantico. So other areas of, you know, where you have people who are training um, and people who are serving, they are going to look at this and say, you know what? Man, I'm just so mad right now. The only thing I can do, I can't vote Biden out and I came and vote for Congress. But the one thing I can do is I can go out and vote in November. So what you're looking for is what's tipping the scales to getting people off the couch out of their houses or to go get that absentee ballot and fill it out and mail it. And this is one of those things that will pull people out to go ahead and vote. And so it it may not be, um, well, OK, it was, it was Afghanistan, but it may just be, you know, just sort of this underlying lack of confidence in Biden and, and sort of lacking confidence on where we're going. And that will go ahead and pull people out to go ahead and vote.
0: Yeah, the other liability, I think, for Biden with Afghanistan is that we are we are always one horrifying video on the internet with an American who wanted to get out and didn't away from this in like getting another month and a half of of a massive a uh, uh, news cycle, and when we we're this close to the election, obviously that does not spell uh, good news for Democrats. The yeah, economy- no, I
1: mean I, I mean I agree with you. And I think what it comes down to is this: is that we legitimately? I mean, I don't know, and I'm fairly well read, and I know mean, you. I mean, most people who listen to this podcast are pretty engaged. How many people who are left in Afghanistan, do we know? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. So, but it's more than Two, zero.
0: 200, 200 is what the State Department said, but uh, uh yeah. who knows? But who knows, right? Yeah. So
1: it's more than zero. So there's a non-zero chance that that happens. Yes. And all you need is for that to happen on the wrong day of the week. And you can have a flood of voters come out and say, you know what? Screw this. I'm going to go and punch the card, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, especially if that person fits certain uh, uh, demographics. Uh, uh, That's all I'll say. If it's a white person, it's going to be a bigger deal. Uh, That being said. Okay, so the economy. Uh, uh, Where is the economy in Virginia? Is this something that McAuliffe can inherit from his Democratic predecessor? And where are we now there locally with what has become... A, a worrying national issue with, uh, uh, you know, labor shortage and and inflation? Where does that stand right now? Is that a liability? The best way I can
1: describe it in Virginia is that we're sort of muddling through. I mean, there are certain parts of Virginia that are very well tied to government funding and their jobs are, ju- are tied to that as well. So the economy doesn't move, you know, jump up or jump down as much as you would in other parts of the country. So, as we muddle through here, um, you're still seeing people going back to football games. You're still seeing people go to restaurants, but what you're finding is that employers are not able to get their people back yet. Yeah, that's really kind of the problem from in a econ- from an economy standpoint is that we're not maxing out our economy because we're not really working together anymore. Still, we're we're not together. We're not. You know, when you work together, you collaborate. Usually, you know, two, one plus one equals three in those situations. And right now you you don't have the, that sort of extra boost that you get when people are working together. We've sort of managed around it with Zoom, but, you know, Justin, I would, I would love to be able to do this podcast, for example, with you, you know, in person, yes. but we're doing it on Zoom. Yeah. And, and so like, while that's cool and all, you know, I'm sure I would sound much better if I was with you in the booth yeah. um, instead of in front of my, you know, books that I read and you know, <laughs> in my own house, right? Sure. <laughs> I mean, so, You know, so I I think that that's sort of depressing what's going on. The one thing that people are actually seeing as far as the economy is concerned is definitely a rise in inflation. And that that has sort of hit everybody, whether it's from gas or if you need to buy a car or even groceries. And that is pervasive throughout the system in the country and certainly here in Virginia. And you hear a lot of talk about that. And frankly, I haven't heard a lot about um, inflation since I was like a kid in the 70s when we were on gas lines. And so this is really the first time in my adult life where we've really thought about inflation as a thing. And that really connects directly to what you're looking at in the economy.
0: It's funny when you uh, go back and watch attack ads from that era. How effective! Because it is a very effective message. I think we're going to see a lot of it during the midterms. But like these are <laughs> these are classics of you just kind of do the, the 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 reverse Walmart ad of used to be blank now blank blame this yeah. person vote for the opponent. That's it's uh, you know a, brevity is the soul of wit and in terms of political messaging that's pretty effective.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And on top of that, it actually connects to something that's real, right? Yeah. So, for example, if you're in Virginia and immigration is one of the biggest issues for you, well, we we're not a border state, you know, so it's yeah. not as real as if you were in Texas. Whereas, if you are seeing in your your life that things are costing more money and your money's going you know less far, and you see the ad, you're like, yeah, you know that that really resonates with me.
0: All right. So let's pivot to immigration. I I imagine, based on what you said, that no matter how bizarre this border crisis gets, which I I never and this is from somebody who grew up in South Florida and I was around immigration, both legal and illegal from many Caribbean states, never in my life do I thought we would see a logjam of Haitian immigrants in the south of Texas, of all places, it feels like somebody found a, a portal somewhere. But indeed, that's what we are looking at now. No matter how bizarre it gets, I don't suspect that this translates directly to the Virginia voter.
1: It doesn't, but it's it's sort of one of those contextual issues, right? So if you're sort of judging like what the Democrats and what Biden is doing, it's sort of a competence level, right? He was elected yeah. as sort of being a competent leader. And all of these things sort of chip away, you know, COVID, inflation, immigration, you know, all of those things seem to be sort of moving away from, oh, yeah, you know, we hired an adult. It's, wow, what happened here? All of a sudden, we're getting Haitians transported to, like, Texas. What happened? Like, how are they getting to, you know, how are they getting any, I mean, just how is, how this, is the this happening? All of this yeah. happening? How is it, what is happening here, right? Yeah. You know, and, and so... You know, people aren't completely disconnected from that, but just like your bid on foreign policy, you know, immigration is one of those other issues that sort of will jar certain voters, but it goes to this overall feeling that we're kind of still off the rails and wait a minute, didn't we just hire the people who are going to get us back on the rails? And doesn't this guy like love Amtrak? Why aren't we on the rails?
0: Yes, you know, so, <laughs> that should you know, be his
1: what's thing. What's going on here, right? And so that that really sort of rounds out the story for Republicans very nicely.
0: While I am on your side that this bipartisan infrastructure bill and then the reconciliation package is something that matters, certainly to political nerds like you and me, certainly to people who watch largely political news media, I don't know how much it plays anywhere locally, but again, much like the military— Virginia is a bit of a different animal considering so much of, especially the Northern parts of the state are wrapped up in the actual minutia of governing. So let's imagine we're for fast forwarding to November 3rd and, uh, uh, there is indeed no bipartisan infrastructure, no $3.5 trillion package. Uh, is that, like a really bad thing for, for McAuliffe or is it, you know, it's not going to matter as much as whether or not, you know, milk is, is being affected by inflation.
1: Yeah. Nothing is passed. It sort of, once again, goes to this narrative of they can't even do the job. Right. And so you have control, even if it's nominal control of Congress, um, you have presidency, there's no reason why you can't get your own people in the same room and vote the same way. Right. Yeah. And that's the way most people will look they won't even look at what the coalitions are in the party. And you have the progressives who won't talk to moderates and they they, they're picketing like Josh Gottheimer from New Jersey, of all people. Yeah. And so, you know, you know, it will it matter to voters? I think the answer is yes for Democrats because they will start looking at that and just go, oh man, you know, to get but, but, that but, does done. It, but
0: does it matter for McAuliffe who was previously a governor? Like, like if, if if the issue that is being eroded with Biden is confidence in his competency, then shouldn't the, the exact person that you would want to stop get that if we were talking about this locally is a guy who literally did the job before and people generally liked.
1: Yeah. And that's the key. So, you know, if you're sitting there looking at it and you're like, well, There's not really much of a difference between Biden and McAuliffe because McAuliffe's basically running a Biden-esque campaign. And Biden, you know, can't even get his own agenda through. Why are we even hiring this guy? I mean, who wants to say that he's going to be able to get anything done here? So, you know, the the reason to have somebody who's competent means that they can get the ball over the goal line, right? Yeah. And so if you can't do that on a national level, and if you're in Northern Virginia and you're so consumed like you know, political dorks like we are with what's going on. And you're looking at it and you're saying, well, man, you know, I mean, how's McAuliffe even going to operate in this environment if he can't even run a regular campaign?
0: Well, then let's flip the script. Let's say that indeed, right now, as we're talking about this, Joe Biden is 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 uh, flipping the resolute desk and he's he's getting in uh, uh, everybody's I, I mean, face and uh, he, uh, he, he he wins one for the Gipper speech and, and uh, everybody runs back out. Bernie Sanders uh, uh, hugs uh, Gottenheimer and 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 Cinema and Mansion uh, uh, dance with AOC, and they all vote together. They get both of them through on on some version of it. Let's say it's sub three point five. They get the bipartisan bill through. They get the the Build Back Better bill through. Is that a boon, conversely, for McAuliffe?
1: It doesn't hurt. I mean, it really doesn't. It's it sort of. What I'm looking at right now is like what hurts McAuliffe, not really what helps McAuliffe. What really helps McAuliffe right now is if McAuliffe got off his ass and actually started running a campaign, (laughs) okay? Like that's what would really help McAuliffe right now is is if I can name off the top of my head three things McAuliffe wanted to do and two things that I don't want to go and vote, um, you know, for Yunkin. Like just give me five things in my head that I could walk around with and so I can make a decision, right? That's the thing that would help McAuliffe. All the stuff in the political environment will move back and forth based upon who hugs who downtown, right? Yeah. But I mean, I actually think that the best thing that could get done in the near term is the BIF goes through and the the bigger one dies. Because I've done a bunch of focus groups in Virginia. um, And what I found was is that people are saying, well, I understand hard infrastructure, roads, bridges, everyone needs. Everyone can tell you what road sucks where they live. Everyone can tell you why Metro isn't done and and if you threw more money, it would help Northern Virginia. But then you start talking about human infrastructure. Even if you talk about it with independents and even soft Republicans and even soft Democrats, they will tell you, yeah, man, that seems like a lot of money. It's probably going to blow up the debt. It's probably going to spike inflation. So I don't know that that particular part of this Build Back Better agenda is really a huge win for them right now. Yeah, um, But one thing he could do to help change the narrative is actually get that this thing across the finish line and start building stuff.
0: So to separate it and do what, what the yeah. house moderates want to do and separate it, pass it, take the win, work as hard as you can on, on the, the reconciliation bill. But... Yeah. I mean, to get
1: through a grade, if not, whatever, you know, I mean the win is really in the bipartisanship. It's not in the reconciliation. That's package. that's, that's passed- that. That's All a big
0: settling, though that's a big settling. This thing started at like eight trillion dollars, and you're gonna settle on one like that is that is definitely cut and bait on on effectively what is the end of the real traction that the president has in his first term because as soon as these midterms hit, you know we're we're gonna we're gonna see what happens, and there's a very, very, very good chance that there will not be democratic majorities in either house. It's
1: true. it's true, but you know there's a difference between sort of watching the polling and leadership right sometimes the people aren't right so if you in your heart of hearts believe that it might not be popular now but it'll be popular next year or it'll help us next year because it's the right thing to do well then you know if you're president United States, that's your job right you have to make that decision and so on the politics of it i can't tell you what what's like today because i don't have that cool portal that you've got like to you know I never never yeah, yeah from, the, from, the, from from
0: from from Port au Prince to uh see you dad Mexico.
1: Right, right. Now I didn't even have like you know the portal that walks outside your studio that brings me to November 3rd. Exactly. So, yeah. So, so right, yeah. So right now, all I could tell you is right now and right now, they haven't either sold it well enough or people are really angsty about it that the bigger plan um is really not something that they're they're game for. Now, again, with Obamacare, it took actually years for Obamacare to become a you know, more positive than negative in terms of polling. Biden doesn't have years, but maybe Biden decides, you know what, my window really isn't even two years because I'm probably going to lose. It's three years. So maybe three years from now, the economy rolls back, and he can point to that thing that was so partisan that got him over the finish line. So, you know, it really depends upon who you're talking about, whose incentive is who, and McAuliffe is sort of an adjunct to all of this. You know, whatever's going on in Virginia is totally, you know, tangential to what's going on there. This is all being calculated among people downtown who have different time, you know, horizons. Uh,
0: uh all right. So beyond McAuliffe with this, uh, uh, build back better thing, does it surprise you? Cause it very much surprised, surprises me that Bernie Sanders is the spokesman for it, that he's the one that's out there on the Sunday shows talking about it. Like I, I understand wanting to put him, in the mix because you want the, the 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 progressive votes to be very excited for it. But like the main guy, the mascot, it, it feels like you're, you're asking for it. Like you're, you're writing the attack ads yourself. Oh, of
1: course. And he's writing them every Sunday. Cause he's there. He's going, you know, all we are going to do is pass $6 trillion worth of stuff and it'll be great. Yeah. You know, and there's only so much of that you can do because, you know, we all understand who Bernie Sanders is. It's not like he's some, you know, no name senator, you know, like Mike Lee, for example, like who knows anything about Mike Lee? Yeah. You know, everyone knows what Bernie Sanders stands for. Everyone knows that Bernie Sanders is the left side of the left. Um, you know, and so the idea that he's the one out there pushing the bill back better program is just saying to people, even if they don't read a, a line of that bill, wow, this is pretty far left. If if Bernie's really happy about
0: this, it's pretty far left. Which is, which is funny because, I then read a thing about a week ago or a week and a half ago that the Biden administration was like, all right, we got to make sure that Biden is out there talking about this. Biden needs to be the face. Biden needs to be the face, which seems like the right play to me. Biden's the guy that got elected president. Bernie Sanders couldn't get out of the primary. So, yes, you want your more popular, more moderate face on it. And then the next week. Joe Manchin and Bernie Sanders are chasing each other around like itchy and scratchy on all the Sunday shows hitting each other with mallets. Like, like what is, what is even going on here?
1: By the way, great reference on itchy and scratchy. That that is one of the greatest (laughs) bits they ever did on that show. It's fantastic. Uh, Um, Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, the last thing you want to do is like watch the next three weeks of itchy and scratchy, right? It's only, it's only fun in like really small bursts.
0: Especially especially now that they have the debt ceiling, and government funding. Like these are normally things that are their own zero day, uh, uh, can we avoid the apocalypse gang of six to 12 people that that then act like heroes because they navigated themselves back from a cliff that they steered us to. Like this is all, these are their own separate things. We're gonna put them all together and hope they all resolve together at the exact same time. I don't know, man. I know it's
1: crazy. It's kind of like Thelma and Louise who are basically getting ready to drive off the cliff. And Thelma yes. looks at Louise and goes, ah, eh, maybe we shouldn't do this. <laughs>
0: I know. And <laughs> right? then, and then, and then we, they get out and shake hands and, and raise their hands right. up in Again, the air they like shake they hands, did it. and dance around go like, yeah. we saved ourselves, yeah. we saved our
1: lives, you know? It's amazing, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. The weirdest thing about Biden is that for such a chatty guy who really does like to talk to people, they've really put him back in the basement. I mean, I haven't seen other than him walking to the lectern and and reading, you know, from a teleprompter, there's something to be said about Biden hiding from his own agenda at this point that he's not quote unquote, up to the public communication part of the job. I mean, for example, when uh, Bill Clinton wanted um you know, NAFTA through, he had Al Gore go debate um you know, Ross Perot on TV you know, yeah at, on T- on, yeah, on CNN. and so there's no reason why, if this is really mission critical to Biden, why he shouldn't be out there advocating for it and just saying, well, we'll just put out our our surrogates, you know, we'll put it out locally because that's very powerful, you know, instead of like sort of this national stuff. I don't understand it. I really don't. You're president of the United States. That's part of the job.
0: And he does that thing where he keeps saying, uh they told me to pick these reporters in this, in this yeah. order thing. They told me I can't
1: talk to you. They yeah. told me I can talk to this person. Like, you, I've got a list of reporters saying? I can talk to. you we're not on the list. I'm sorry. I, I'm going to have to go talk to my people. They, you know, he's like, he's like, he's blaming his assistants for his own inability to yeah. take questions. Yep. Look, we're coming out of an era where Trump would take a question from anybody and blow up a news cycle. And now we've gone completely the other way with it. Yeah. You, Figure that. Which which Biden I don't I don't
0: blame him. I don't blame him for having message discipline in, in in an era of of the chaos agent, who who, again, it's like the one thing that I would say, uh, uh for all the attacks on journalism, uh uh real and imagined that Donald Trump did, he certainly gave the gift of access. Access happened in in bizarre times, in times where he wanted to do it, where he didn't want to do it. He loved talking to people that much. Uh I I I'm you know, I, I don't know whether are, are we seeing with Biden just a overcautious and therefore less effective public communication strategy, or is this just, you know, at, at, at a certain point, you've got so much stuff on your plate, you know, like a a, a football team can't Uh, do well if like their quarterback and their and their starting line and their defensive ends and their cornerbacks are all injured you're just not going to look great because there's a lot of stuff that has befallen you and maybe that's what we're looking at with biden but oh it it certainly doesn't look on a rail right now
1: yeah with apologies to my friend um trevor smith who's going to hate me for this one i mean they're not the detroit they're basically the detroit Lions right now you know, they can't do anything right. You're gonna go like one in sixteen if they don't turn it around real quick. Yeah. Um, but the one guy you can't fire at this point is the coach. You know, I'm sorry, yeah. Trump people, but you know, Biden's the president's gonna stay at least for the next three and a half years. So um, you know, Biden needs to wake up one morning and decide, you know what, I, I need to be more me. They need to let Biden be a little bit more Biden, not just Biden being this sort of, you know, message discipline robot who's walking from one event to another. And reading his cue cards and, you know, it worked really well for Reagan because Reagan had a big personality and he understood, you know, the power of television, um, you know, and how to make news. But Biden's, you know, he's just uncomfortable with it. And so he has to figure out a way to sort of thread the needle between where he is now and where Trump was last time.
0: Well, he, like you mentioned, uh, has currently found himself at about Trump's polling approval rating. So uh, that is certainly not something that I think... Yeah, not, that's certainly something that I think the Biden folks would have uh, expected this quick into the uh, presidency. One last yeah, thing. On, a, go ahead.
1: Just one last thing on that. Yeah. I mean, the thing about it is in with a low approval rating, like what does that really matter? OK, yeah, the the best political science stuff that I read, which wasn't very much, but the best political and I have a Ph.D. in it. Yeah. The best political science stuff that I've read on the presidency was is that the approval rating really does set the stage for what you can get done. It is the power to persuade is what the president has. And if you have a high approval rating, you have, by definition, much more power because that's where you're drawing your power from. So right now, because Biden's approval rating is so low, he's actually going to have a much harder time, even with his own people, to get his stuff done. And that's why you don't see McAuliffe hugging him. That's why you don't that's why you see the divisions between itchy and scratchy. Yeah. So the approval rating really does put a damper on everything he wants to do.
0: Well, you know, that certainly makes a lot of sense. And if that's the case, then then maybe that is the conversation right now, is that uh, you know, pass this bipartisan infrastructure went- package and then uh, uh, as Joe Manchin said, take a strategic pause on the reconciliation, which is uh, just such a great phrase. Because as they put it out of the Wednesday show, it's kind of like taking a strategic pause from breathing for a year. You know, it, it will have the exact same effect on that bill, which is to kill it. Uh, uh, one last thing on Virginia on the way out. I always sure. love the, the 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 quirky stuff. The the like, all right, only the locals would know that, like is 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 the like like virginia tech record going to matter for for a governor's race or like a good apple picking season is there any local uh uh, element that that if we really want to dig deep into this race we can look into
1: (laughs) that's great um you know i (laughs) i really have to look at it but i mean i'm (laughs) guessing it's probably something you know along the lines of beers consumed
0: there we go. So uh, so, right. so, what, so, what does McAuliffe want, a high beer consumption or a low beer consumption?
1: Um, he probably wants a high beer consumption.
0: Crack so if, them open. If, if, lot, if the
1: beer is flowing this weekend at Oktoberfest and you're seeing people out and having a great time, um, he wants to bottle that thing up. And in fact, he might want to get out of his basement and go visit a few of them and actually go talk to the voters because right now um, he and the Democrats can use beer
0: right now. All right. Uh, Mike Cohen, thank you so much. A modern campaigns is the book. Everybody should go, uh, get it right now. As always a pleasure to chat. Thank you so much. Thank you, brother. Take care out there. Politics, politics, politics Politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young for dog and pony show audio in Austin, Texas. This show was edited by Brett Stewart. If you would like to say thank you to Mike Cohen for coming on the show, you head on over to px3guest.com. Our email is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Our Twitter is px3tweets. Our Twitch is px3live, where we do live broadcasts three times a week. You can share this podcast by sending the URL to a friend, neighbor, or loved one to at px3podcast.com and our merch is available at politicsmerch.com If you'd like to give me a one time payment, you can do so at paypal.me slash payjury You can send me a dollar on Venmo Justin-Young-20 and on our cash app, it is px3cash If you'd like to send me anything physical in the mail a letter, a coin, a bill, if you want to use your, your your bank's pay feature to send me a physical check, you can do so at P.O. Box 153184. Again, that is P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Of course, the only place you can get bonus content of this show is TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Our $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news Uh, that we miss out on on our free podcast schedule and the $10 tier gets your name read at the end of the podcast like these fine folks in the Titanic $10 tier including Idris Aslandian DJ Katie Mack Meister, Dr. G Lord Scale De Quince Anile Admiral Flapjack Utah Jimmy Montana Edmund Pluribus Unum Pete Spicery 70s TV Salesman or Spy D, really? And Gloria Young, for King of the New World Order, Zombie Doc Edison, no mention on the podcast, please. Dot Com Junkie, DP4, Bongo, Pop Gold, Jewish, Lives Matter, Ye Olde Pinball Shop, John, Snuffies, Brian, Neil, Charles, Darren, Olin and Angela, DL, Steven, Chad, Miranda, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, the most conscientious nonpartisan listeners, Brad, Richard, D. Laser, just another pilot, middle-aged, Mike, the gen, Will, j and Andrew. One more time, you want to get your name read, you head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. That's it for us this week. Hope you all have a great weekend. I will see the uh, Patreon folks on Monday morning for our Sunday, Sunday, Sunday show should be an eventful one. Who knows what's going to come out of this Biden meeting? You might already know because I'm recording this on Wednesday, but right now we don't. Isn't that exciting? Till next time, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying, some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more. You know, they're out here talking about politics. But this, this right here is the only show that dares discuss. Oh!